following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. If you would, grab a Bible uh, or an electronic device that has a Bible on it and uh, open up to uh, Romans chapter 6 is where we're going to be at today. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. If you're in fourth or fifth if you're in fourth or fifth grade, you should have left already. If you feel like you're in fourth or fifth grade, go ahead. Bethany looked over at me the other day and she said, Jordan, we have been in our house in Bremen for six years. And I said, whoa, six years. It feels like that happened fast. And uh, she said, yeah, why, do you not like our house or something? And I said, no, 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 it's good. I, I like being here. Um, we, just, uh, we just feel really blessed to be able to, to minister and to um, uh, pastor here and um, we just love you guys. We think um, the world of community gospel and, and what you guys are doing. And even as the rain fell today and we had to cancel an event, I was like, don't worry about it. There's going to be more events on the, on the future and, and we'll be okay, right? We'll be all right. Uh, I was walking down the hallway the other day to my daughter's room. She was laying on her bed and she was reading a book. And I kind of peeked my head in. And I, was, I was like, what's you reading? She said, I'm reading a comic book, Dad. I said, a comic book, huh? I know they still made those. And she said, yeah, um, I'm reading Donald Duck. <laughs> I said, oh, really profound of you to read Donald Duck, right? Like, that's it's really awesome. She goes, it's so good. And I was like, I agree. So I'm kind of a closet comic book fan, if you will. Um, I don't tell a whole lot of people that because then they'd be like, oh, you do like the pictures. So I, this is not a children's Bible, okay? So don't go jumping on that. But um one of, my, one of my favorite kind of scenes from uh, comic books is the scene where Peter Parker in Spider-Man is having the conversation and somebody looks at him and he says, do you know that with great power comes great responsibility? You remember that? Man, that's just like cuts to the heart. I was like, oh, so, so good, right? I was like, man, that's, that's good stuff. With great power comes great responsibility. And then I started thinking about it as I was studying for the sermon. And I thought, I wonder if he stole that from the Bible. Because with great salvation comes great power, and if we call ourselves believers in Jesus Christ comes great responsibility, right? We have responsibility as the body and as believers. And here in Romans chapter 6, what you need to know before we get into this passage is that Paul, in chapters 1 through 5, he has already started to articulate what it means to know Jesus. He uses this word that we would call justification, and he says, you are justified from your sins, when you confess that you are a sinner and believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, he is your savior. That word justifications means that Jesus justifies you from your sin. So if you have gone astray, he essentially says, listen, you're my child and nobody can snatch you out of my hand. So verse, or excuse me, chapter one through chapter five in Romans is all about justification and you would do well to go back and to read that this week, especially being Holy Week. And then in chapter Six, he starts to unpack this new term that we would call sanctification. And sanctification is essentially just the process of God setting us apart so that we would be uh, conformed more to the image of his son Jesus. 
Sanctification is the process where Jesus essentially chisels away who you are. And he says, I want you to look a little bit more like Jesus to the rest of the world. And so you can become a believer or a follower of the way by being justified from your sin when you say, God, I want a relationship with you through Jesus. But sanctification is really where the rubber meets the road and the work starts to be done. He says this is where in being sanctified, we win over sin. We have the ability to choose from right from wrong. And you have the choice to say, I don't want to be a slave to sin anymore. I want to live a life that would be honoring and glorifying to the Lord. And so that's where Paul kind of brings us in, in Romans chapter 6, verse 1. Let me just pray a quick blessing over this. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you. It's your word, not mine. I pray that you would make this clear today. I pray that you would do a work that I can't in the hearts of the people and myself as we're gathered here today. I pray that you uh, would help me to articulate well. And I pray that we would not be hearers of the word, but we would be doers as well and realize that every place that we populate on planet Earth is to make your son Jesus known. It's our mission field. No matter where we go, no matter who we see, no matter who we talk to, we have the opportunity to see people who are far from you come to know you. And then we have an opportunity to help people mature and grow too as well. God, I love you. I thank you for your word and what you've taught me this past week. And I pray that you would just pour that out into the people today. And that they would be encouraged, but also a little bit convicted. Because I know that's where I've been living at. And I pray that it would be a blessing to all of us as we leave here. In your name. Amen. Amen. Amen means I agree. Okay, I agree. All right. I agree with my own prayer. Of course I do. I said it. <laughs> Chapter 6, verse 1, he says this. What shall we say then? Good question he's about to comment on. Knowing that we are justified, what shall we say then if we call ourselves believers in Jesus Christ, followers of the way? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? You should underline that because that's a good question. Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound. Another way to phrase that. If God loves to forgive, ready for this? Then why not give him some more to forgive? Amen? It's like if somebody were to look at you and say, hey, if you give me a dollar, I'll give you ten. You give me a hundred, I'll give you a thousand, right? That's how it works. That's not how it works. But some of us think that. Maybe we got that from Romans 5 verse 20, where Paul says, where sin increased, Grace increased all the more. Well, Apostle Paul, let me tell you something. I don't know where you guys are living at, but I know where I'm living at, and I know that sin sometimes increases, and so therefore, let's let grace increase all the more. Amen? Man, if you didn't say amen, you said it in your head. Are we to continue in sin? Now, Paul probably thought about Corinth because this is where he is writing this text from. He is not in Rome. He's in Corinth with the Corinthians, and as many Corinthians thought, so did many Romans. And they believe that if God is going to be a God who forgives us, then we can sin as much as we want. There's two reasons for this. Number one, they take advantage of God because of his grace. And number two, they do not understand the seriousness or the weightiness of sin. So these people are thinking in this way, and it is the same way that you and I think today. If we would sin so that grace would abound, we obviously do not understand fully the seriousness of sin, 
nor do we understand how God works and operates. Sin is serious, and it always, always comes with a cost. Christ, when he goes to the cross, shows us very seriously how heavy a burden sin is. As Jesus pays with his life so that you and I can be forgiven. Sin is serious. It brings Jesus to the cross. Blood pours from his hands and from his feet. And if we are to be forgiven and believe the gospel to continue in our sin, that is absolutely absurd. Why would we go on sinning because Christ has died for us? James says in James chapter 1, listen to this. But don't just listen to God's word. In other words, be justified. Do what it says. Otherwise, you're fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and you don't obey or continue in sin, it is like glancing at your face in the mirror. You see yourself and you walk away and you forget what you look like. Freedom in Jesus Christ is never the opportunity for you and I to carry on in our sin. It is just the opposite. If we would understand that we choose to resist sin, we would understand that we would have an increased appreciation of God's grace. If you and I could get to the point where like every time we choose what God wants me to do and not what the world wants me to do, the appreciation of grace would increase. Why? Because Paul says in verse 2, he says, by no means do we do this. How could we, you and I, who are dead to sin, still live in that sin. I would underline too in that passage of scripture, dead to sin. Because Christ died for our sins, we as believers die to sin. Well, what does that mean? That essentially means that we take a decisive step to be justified, and then we continually make the conscious effort to stay dead. We refuse to sin daily, in full, continual commitment to God. Now, some of you guys are thinking about that, like, okay, dead to sin. I think I kind of get that. This makes total sense to me because in 2006, Bethany and I decided that we were going to get married. And so we went to Wabash, and we walked down the aisle, and we gave our vows to one another, and I continued to kind of nudge her and say, no, this is a good thing, I promise. <laughs> and then when we got done with the ceremony... Uh, we were at the reception, and here comes my dad who did the ceremony, and he has the marriage license, right? And he slides the marriage license across the table, and he says, Jordan, do you believe the words that you just said to Bethany in the service? And I said, yeah, I do, all of them, and then some more. And I wrote my name really fast. And he goes, Bethany, do you believe the words that you said to Jordan? And she says, mm, what's in this for me again? <laughs> and he said, I'll be your father-in-law. She said, done, deal, all right? And she signed on there too as well. Now, here's the crazy thing, okay? We got married, and that day when we got married, we didn't look at each other and we're like, okay, now we can go do whatever we want to do. We get up in the morning and we make continual conscious efforts to honor our marriage covenant. So her and I make decisions that we are going to reject some relationships that the world offers because it's best for our marriage. You tracking with me? We're not going to go get involved with some people because we understand that that would not be good for our marriage. Every day we consciously die to ourselves so that our marriage would be stronger. We seek the other person's best, not ourselves. Tracking? 
It doesn't give me a reason to be like, hey, Bethany, guess what? When I wake up in the morning, I'm going to break every single rule that we committed on uh, July 22nd. Just kidding. All right. <laughs> it doesn't give me a reason to do that, right? I don't get to do that. That would be absurd for her to look at me and be like, Jordan, just because we're married and we have a covenant relationship, that doesn't give you the reason to go out and do whatever you want to do. You are dead to yourself when you enter into this relationship. It is no longer you that lives, but it's us. And as believers, we willingly choose to no longer live in continual habitual sin or in its grasp. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said once, he says, what has, got, what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. So let me ask you the same question that I've been asking, and maybe you could ask it to yourself. Am I living in sin or am I dying to it? Am I living in sin or am I dying to it? Living in sin means that I have a lifestyle of habitual sinful practices where I'm allowing sin to reign. That's not logical, but dying to sin is different. This is how slaves gain freedom. They die. They are no longer in that relationship. They have a radical action for elimination. Paul will say in Colossians chapter 1, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. And listen to me. Until we consider ourselves dead to sin, we will continue to let sin influence us. We have to consider ourselves dead to sin. Well, how do I do that? Number one, first thing I would say to die to sin is we have to return to God or to come to Christ. A lot of times Easter will promote visitors. So I don't know if you're here today, you're visiting for the first time, or maybe you've been here for a long time, but we fully believe the Bible and what the Bible says, and it says you have to come to God through a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's just the way that it works. And I know many of us have done that. We've confessed with our mouth and believed in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that's great. That's a good decision. You're justified from your sin. But let me ask you a better question. Are you coming to God on a daily basis where you're presenting yourself to him? Do you wake up in the morning honoring the covenant that you made with God and saying, hey, I want to serve you and you alone and not myself? Is he the first thing on your mind? Is his word the first thing that you go to? Is he the first person that you talk to? See, what it says in the Bible is it says, present your bodies, your whole being, to him as instruments for the doing of his will. Formerly you were enslaved to sin, but your old relationship to sin has been broken by death. What death? The death that you died with Christ. There was a soap manufacturer and a pastor. They were walking down the street in a busy place. And um, they're having this conversation, and the pastor's got a good relationship with them. And the soap producer looks at the pastor, and he says, uh, The gospel you preach hasn't done much good, huh, pastor? He's a little thrown off, but he's like, keep going. He says, there's still a lot of wickedness in the world, and there's a lot of wicked people out there, too. The gospel probably hasn't done much good. Well, they go down a little bit farther, and they see a bunch of kids playing in the mud on a rainy day. The pastor seizes the opportunity. That's what we do. <laughs> and he says, uh, I see soap hasn't done much good for the world either. And he's kind of thrown off. He says, why would you say that? He says, because there's still a bunch of dirty people in the world that doesn't look like it's producing a good product. And he says, oh, that's because soap doesn't work until you apply it. 
and so you use it. And so you present yourself and offer yourself to the fact that you want to be clean. See, I come to Jesus to be justified, and he justifies me in my sin. But I come to him daily because I know that this flesh still hangs off of me, and it still entangles me, and it still trips me up, and I still live in a fallen world. And I say, Jesus, you got to work through my life. But it doesn't work unless I come to the throne of God and say, you got to do a great work in me. you got to restore my soul. you got to clean me, wash me from the inside out. That's how we return to God. Second thing is that you refuse to let Satan win. you got to stop letting the devil win. Christ died, he bore our sin, and now he lives so we're able to die to sin. I talk to so many people that say, Pastor Jordan, I can't break the chains of addiction. I can't do it. Do you know that Jesus talks about radical amputation? You know what he says? He says, listen, if your left eye causes you to sin or to stumble, what are you supposed to do? There's not a whole, there's a little uh, room out here, and we call it the radical amputation room. We got eye gouges, and we got saws for your arms and stuff like that. I'm just kidding, we all have that here. That'd be really creepy. I wouldn't want to be a part of that church. Jesus is talking a little bit figuratively, and what he's saying in the text is, if your computer causes you to look at pornography, then you should probably chuck your computer out the window. He says, listen, if you're in a relationship with somebody that's causing you to be uh, unfaithful to your spouse, then you should probably get out of that relationship. If you're involved with some friends who are causing you to not be like Jesus, then maybe you should find some new friends. If you're sticking a needle in your arm, then maybe you need to go to places where people don't stick needles in their arms. See, Jesus says, I want you to radically amputize, and I want you to stop letting Satan win. That's why John says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. There was a man, he was praying with his pastor, and uh, he's, he's sitting there. And he says, Lord Jesus, I just pray that you would take the cobwebs out of my life. And the pastor kind of looks over like, what is he? He's like, Lord Jesus, kill the spider. Right? Maybe that's what we need to start praying. That God eliminates the source of the problem instead of we stop praying for the elimination of all the results of the problem. See, we have to refuse to let Satan win. Satan wins every time we sin, and every time we choose not to sin, what happens is we create a reservoir within ourselves where we have awesome examples to throw back at the devil and say, let me tell you where I've won in other places, and let me tell you how you're not going to win in this place here. I refuse to let him win. I present myself every day. I say, God, I know, I understand that I'm a sinner. I realize that we have a relationship. Would you guard me and protect me so that the devil will not win? I love at the end of Jesus' temptation. Do you know what happens? After he's tempted in the garden, you know what happens? A legion of angels comes and ministers to his need. Maybe we need to start praying that angels would come and surround us in the places that we populate. And that God would fight battles for us that we don't need to fight. And he would move people out of places that uh, we need to move into. So i got to return to God. i got to refuse to let Satan win. Third thing, i got to reflect on being alive in Jesus Christ. When we consider ourselves to have died in Christ's death, sin won't dominate us the more we allow ourselves to be daily aware of God's wonderful, awesome grace. You know the song, right? Morning by morning, new mercies I see. When I was growing up, I constantly told myself, if I ever become a pastor, I'm never going to sing in the pulpit. I do it almost every single week now. I can't help it. Grace doesn't stimulate sin. 
Grace liberates from sin, and it enables us to triumph over it. I think that's why Jesus, so many times in the text, he looks at people and he says, go and sin no more. It's so simple, though. Jesus like, go and sin no more. Don't do that anymore. Go and sin no more, he says. Why? Because he understands fully that grace doesn't stimulate sin. Grace liberates us from sin and enables us to triumph over it. It's like the guy who was uh, <clears throat> selling the property and the warehouses, and uh, he goes and he shows the prospective buyer. He says, listen, I-, I know this place is a mess. And he looks at him, he says, the windows are broken. And he says, there's trash all over the place. And don't worry, if you buy this place, I'll fix it up. And the guy looks back at him and he says, don't worry about it. I'm bulldozing this place. I only need the real estate. That's what Jesus does for you and I. He says, I want to completely eliminate everything that lives in you so that everything that is from me can live again. He says, I'm going to put a new spirit in you. I'm going to put a new house up. I'm going to do a new thing that you don't understand. But you can't keep going back to the old house. Look how Paul answers in verse 3. He says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too, underline that, might walk, circle that, in the newness of life, double underline that. You want me to say it again? All right. We too, underline that, might walk, circle that, in the newness of life, double underline that. That's how it looks at my Bible. Now let's look at your Bible, all right? That's how I read it. He uses an illustration to answer his question, and he talks about baptism to make this point about being dead to sin. If we don't know what it means to be dead to sin, then we might not understand baptism real well. And let me just walk you through this real point, okay? He says in verse 3, do you not know? Now, if the Apostle Paul were here, okay, he would be seriously confused about us as a church, and he would be confused on one thing, and that is how we do baptism. He would literally shake his head and be like, that makes no sense. I don't understand. Because when you got baptized in the New Testament, essentially, if you came to know the Lord and you were justified and you say, hey, I believe Jesus is the Messiah. You confess with your mouth and believed in your heart and said, I trust Jesus Christ as my Savior today. You know what they would do? They pick you up and they take you over to some water and they throw you in the water and they pull you back out. It was all one motion. Paul would look at it and he'd say, why do you guys have this long span of time between like when somebody comes to know Jesus and when they get baptized? He's like, those things should be together. And I'm like, Paul, I don't know if you know this or not, but we don't have a whole lot of pools of water and ain't nobody getting baptized outside today, amen? (laughs) He just would be so confused on that. In, In Corinth, baptism was so common. It was so common knowledge that that's how it happened. But in Rome, it wasn't really that way. And so Paul is trying to help the people see what it means to be dead to sin by illustrating baptism. He says this comes, first of all, after you come to a relationship with Jesus. When you personally, not somebody else, when you personally say that I trust Jesus Christ as my Savior, then you get baptized. It's one, then the other, okay? And he says that's how this works. But there's two sides of it. There's something that happens inside while something that is happening on the outside. The inside is really the meat, and the outside is the symbol. So the inside is that internal baptism. This is what we call the union with Christ. When we're saved or justified, we are what is called baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ. 
I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Right? I go singing again. Man. <clears throat> he says, this is when God places you in union, that covenant relationship with Jesus Christ and other believers. It's when you get your marriage certificate as a believer that you're married to Jesus. When you trust Jesus Christ. It's your spiritual birthday, if you will. Okay? And so what he says here is this is when the Spirit dwells within us. Paul told the Corinthians in chapter 12, we're all baptized by one Spirit so as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free, Mishawakian or South Indian, Lake Villian or Wyatian. Okay? That's the Greek, by the way. I got that footnoted. We're all given one Spirit to drink. That's what he says. So being baptized into union with Christ... This justification means we are risen to new life in Jesus Christ. We have victory over sin. And then he says in the text, he says, you can walk in a way that would be worthy, consciously choosing to be able to make the right or wrong choice. God gives you a choice. You ever think about that? Like why God gives us a choice? I always, always wondered that. Why does God give us a choice? He's got to give us a choice because if he didn't give us a choice, it wouldn't be true worship, Right? We would not truly worship the Lord if we were forced to worship the Lord. I understand that raising kids. I think you do too as well. He says you have to consciously choose to treat these desires, these temptations as the old nature. Walking worthy as somebody who is dead. Listen to a couple verses. Galatians chapter 3. Many of you were baptized into Christ and now you have put on Christ. Okay? Colossians chapter 3 verse 1 uh, says... If you have been raised with Christ, now you seek the things that are above where Christ is. Not on the things that are of earth, for you have died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ who is in your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory because you have been washed by the blood of the Lamb. You have been transformed into the image of Christ. You've been justified of your sin. But then he says there's a symbol that happens that is awesome. It's called baptize. And this is this external symbol. And the word there, baptisma, means, ready for this? A violent action. There is this church I saw the other day. I think it's amazing. It's called the Church of Bodybuilders. It's this crazy place. Don't Google it, all right? I don't know how I got there. It was one of those searches that went south in a hurry. You know what I'm talking about? How you're like, how did I get here? It's been two hours, and I'm watching cat videos. <clears throat> but... So here's what happened. So this, these guys, they baptized these other guys, and they put these huge dudes in these tanks. And all of a sudden, this guy stands over here, right? And he's like, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And the guy's like, yeah, yeah, I do. And I mean, it's, it's crazy town in the church, and I'm just getting really, really tense. And the guy's like, you know I do. And he's like, are you sure? And he's like, yeah. And this dude, no joke, he runs, takes a leap at the guy, puts his hand on his chest, he's like, Boom! And he pulls him out of the water, and I'm like, whoa. Okay, I want to go to that church. <laughs> it's real life. I'm not making this up. It really, truly, genuinely happened. And then I started thinking to myself, I'm like, that's exactly what he's talking about. It, it is this violent act. We make it so pretty, don't we? We make the things of Jesus so pretty and flowery, and there's nothing wrong with flowers, but at the same time, it's like, that's not how it really, truly is. Listen, in the Bible, this, this uh, baptisma 
means immerse, not dip. It means to go all the way in the water. Now, I'm not going to baptize people like that anymore, okay? So I want this to scare you away. You're like, man, I was going to get baptized, but now I'm not doing that, right? <laughs> Baptism is violent. It's used of people being drowned or ships that were sinking. Josephus used it metaphorically when he talked about the crowds that flooded into Jerusalem and wrecked the city. Now, here's the crazy thing. Jesus even refers to his death as a baptism that would be violent. When you immerse somebody, what he's saying here is this form of baptism where you go into the water. It is a violent symbol of being buried with Christ. The old way I go down into the grave is gone. The new life is coming up. He restores my soul is what the psalmist says. And to restore a soul means a violent action. It had to happen that way. It's not gentle. It means death as entrance to a whole new way of life. Paul is stressing here to the believers. He's saying, listen, you died. That's the whole theme of this chapter. It's almost impossible for anyone who accurately understands what baptism means to submit cheerfully in a sinful life. He said it's almost impossible. You know, I was thinking about Bethany and I's wedding. I was looking through pictures the other day. Man, I've changed a lot. And um, I was thinking about how that, that ceremony, and it was just, a, it was a good wedding, man. We had a fun time. My grandma, at the, at the, um, when everything was said and done, she was sitting way back. We found out about this years later. She was really upset because we were dancing. She's really conservative. And uh, my dad told us that she was sitting in back. My grandma, God bless her heart. She's with Jesus now, so she understands that she was wrong. Um, <clears throat> and she would just stare at us, and she'd be like, I can't believe they're doing this. I can't believe it, you know, or whatever. And we're like, Grandma, come over here. We're doing the lawnmower. And she, she didn't want anything to do with it. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, that was, that was an important day for us, wasn't it? I think you guys probably think about your wedding day. Think how, man, that's important. And that ceremony um, means a lot to Bethany and I. And I don't think we would, we would look at that and we would say that it didn't mean anything. It was, it was really symbolic of the covenant that we made, right? And so we go back there all the time and we think to ourselves, wow, that, that was a good day when we pledged our love to one another. And I think about it in regards to baptism. And I think sometimes we cheapen what salvation is by not committing ourselves to be baptized to participate in that ceremony. It's hard for me when somebody looks at me and they're like, you know what, Jordan, I just don't know if I want to be baptized. I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if I could stand up and give my testimony. I don't know if I could go into the water. And I just want to look at them and be like, do you, do you know how much of a validation that is that Jesus is working and he's, he's moving and he's making all things new and how important that ceremony is to your relationship with Jesus? I think if we were to ask the thief on the cross, you know, the one that didn't get baptized that we use all the time, well, the thief on the cross didn't get baptized, so I guess I don't have to get baptized. I think if we were to ask him, I think he would look at us and he would say, I wish I could have. I wish they would have taken me off that cross and put me in the water. And maybe they would have even put me back up on the cross. I think he would have said, listen, that ceremony would have been just important to me as my relationship with Jesus is. 
He says, I want you to walk in a new way of life. I want you to understand that being dead to sin means it's very symbolic to the marriage. That this is the life you now live. To honor the Lord with all you think, say, and do. To love him. To sin no more. It's time to stop living in sin and start living for Jesus Christ. We have to. There's so much stuff on the line right now. I came across this as I was studying. I'll close with this. Imagine you're renting a house from a landlord who's a bully. Man, I was thinking about this. I, I, I rented this studio apartment in Davenport. I lived in Davenport, Iowa for one year. That was enough. Davenport, Iowa, God bless your heart, but I'm not called to minister to there. And um, we had this landlord, and I think I was worse for him than he was worse for me, but he was, he was a little rough. But imagine you, you're renting this place from a landlord. He always comes to you, and he demands extra payments. He comes into your house without asking. He eats all the lucky charms. Marshmallows included. He threatens to give. He threatens you. He says, you have to give into my demands or I'll kick you out. And so you just get used to it, right? You just get to the point where you're like, this is life. You do what he says because you're afraid. You just don't think that there's any way out. And then all of a sudden you find out about a fact that there's a new place to live. And you're like, man, I wish I could go there. And sure enough, somebody comes to your rescue and they pay the rest of your rent. And they look at it and they're like, hey, guess what? You don't have to live here no more. I paid your rent. I paid all the lease off. You get to come and you can go live in this house. And you're like, yeah, awesome. And so you go over here and you are in this new house. And then a few days later, here comes the landlord, right? And he shows up at your door. And he comes in, he barges into your house. He's angry. He says, hey, you owe me money and all this other stuff. And he threatens to take you to court. And all of a sudden, that old habit comes in, right? That, that fear in the pit of your stomach. When I meet Jesus, I want to know why I have that in my life. That's the worst feeling ever, isn't it? When you just get that feeling in your gut and you go, why do I feel this way? This old habit returns and you're, you're tempted to, to write him a check and, and give him your debit card and just pay him. And just say, hey, if I just pay you, you're going to leave. I mean, even though you know that you're not his tenant anymore. I mean, you saw the paperwork, the bill was paid. You understand that that you're no longer obligated to him, but yet you still feel like you're obligated to him, right? You don't owe him anything. And so here's what happens. You start to tremble a little bit, right? And you look at him and you start underneath your voice and you go, I want you to leave. And he's like, you owe me more money. You owe me all this stuff. And you go, I want you to leave right now. I want you to go away, please. Right? And then all of a sudden you realize, wait, he does, uh, that guy, I don't know him anything. And so you look at him, and even though your stomach hurts and your voice shakes, you say, you need to get out of my house. You don't have any ownership here. You don't live here anymore. You never lived here. This is my place. This was paid from somebody else. And so you force him, and, and you say, leave. He has no claim over you. That is exactly what it is like to be dead to sin. When you make a conscious effort and a conscious decision to continue in sin as a believer in Jesus Christ, you essentially let the old landlord in and take ownership of who you are. But listen to me, church. We got to tell the old landlord to get out of this house. You are not welcome here. You never were welcomed here. All those broken windows are gone. 
All that stuff is, is done. It is eliminated. In Romans chapter 6, if you bounce down just a few verses, he says, in the same way, you count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. All those things have no hold on you anymore. And you think to yourself, but Pastor Jordan, that doesn't make any sense because it can't be so simple. Isn't it funny how the things in life that are so simple are often the most spiritual and often the most uh, things that sanctify us and set us apart? Isn't it funny how little things like reading your Bible and spending time in prayer can have a massive impact on your whole entire existence? Isn't it funny how sometimes if we would just do the simple things in life, we would be successful? Isn't it funny how we can make small investments in something and over time it will accrue interest? Isn't it funny how if we do that with Jesus, it makes sense, right? But then we think about it and we think to, we think to God, God, that's too simple. I need to make it complicated. And God says, no, 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 listen, I came into your life so that you wouldn't have to live a complex existence so that you would live a simple life of just following me, loving me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He says, that's, it's, it's how it works. We need to remind ourselves of what the paperwork says that is paid in full of who you really are. You can't give in to the voices that are in your head that tell you you're still in the old life. You're not. There are so many people that I sit and talk with and I just tell them, I was like, it's not who you are. It's not who you are. And they look at me and they say, but Pastor Jordan, it is who I am. And I'm saying, no, it's not. But you have to believe it first. You got to own it. You got to say, yes. I am who I am in Jesus Christ. I am a new creation. I am restored. I am somebody who is able to do far more abundantly than I could ever ask or imagine. Because John said it, and it's true. Greater is he who is in the world than he who lives. Right? Greater is he who lives in me than the one who is in the world. I totally screwed that up. Doc on it. <laughs> you get it. Resisting temptation is about recognizing who you are. In Christ, you're no longer a prisoner. You've been set free. Let me pray for it. <clears throat> God, I think it's amazing that it doesn't matter if we are seven or 70, that we all struggle with this. I, I think it's amazing that no matter where we're at in our life, we all wrestle with this dead to sin thing because we all struggle with perception and we all struggle with our own identity of who we are in you. And so on this holy week, as we start uh, kind of understanding that you came, died and rose again and understanding that we need to die to, to sin because you died for sin. I pray that uh, people who are gathered here would first of all examine their hearts. And I just want to ask a question right now as we're gathered here have you ever trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you ever said, I am a sinner. I have fallen short of the glory of God. I have made mistakes in my life. And have you ever come to realize that Jesus is the Messiah who died on the cross for your sins and he rose again? Have you confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord? If you haven't made that decision today, there's a little blue bookmarks that sit in our pews that just simply ask, may I ask you a question? And they walk through just the very basics of salvation, and that is that you would trust Christ in faith and that you would believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. It's so simple. Don't make it complicated. 
It is not by works. It's not by anything that you can do to come to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It is simply by faith. It is just an asking. God, will you come in? And will you make me new? And for those of us who are gathered here who have made that decision, I know there's so many of us. I think the prayer for us this morning is just to ask God to help us to continue to win. Not on our own, not on our own power, not on our own strength, but by God's strength. I don't know what it is that you're struggling with or that you're wrestling with. I don't know what addiction entangles you. I don't know if it's something that is of this world or maybe it's just something that you struggle with of yourself. Maybe your mouth is out of control. Maybe there's just things that are going on inside. Maybe you're just a critically, uh, a critical person. Maybe you're just a negative person. Maybe you just find yourself uh, struggling with just who you are. Maybe you have a poor self-image of who you are. You never really looked in the mirror the way that Jesus looks at you. Maybe it's a relationship issue. Maybe it's a marriage. Maybe it's something going on at work. There's so many things that we just fall into. But the amazing thing about being in a relationship with Jesus is that he says, anything that you ask in my name, he hears your voice. And so today, God, we come before you and we ask that you would help us to be victorious over the sin that so easily entangles us. God, we ask very specifically and very pointedly that you would help overcome these chains that we continue to throw on ourselves. We ask very specifically, God, that you would help us to be more than conquerors, that we would be overcomers and that we would realize that we can do far more in a relationship with you than we can do in ourselves. Would you help us to claim that in the morning? Would you help us to claim that in the afternoon and in the evening? Day by day. Help us to remember the importance of remembering that when we struggle with sin, we have somebody that has already overcome it. God, would you remind me and all of these people who are gathered here today, those who are listening online, would you, would you remind us second by second of who we are in Jesus? Would you help us to constantly let you be the sole priority of our life? That we would look to you and nobody else. That we would reflect on your goodness and your mercy and your grace. That we would remember that we are children of God. Sons and daughters of the Most High King. May that understanding be the reason for our existence. And may you continue to give us victory in all areas of our life until you come to call us home. God, we, uh, we give all this over to you. We love you and we thank you. In your name we pray. All God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church Podcast. 
If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.